I mean, you know, I was told when I was younger that, you know, if you learn to play accordion, you'll be the life of every party. And honestly, I, it's been a long, I've been to many parties and I, no one's ever said, hey, you got an accordion in the car, get it out. You know, like that just never happened. You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath. And today we talk with Josie Bello. Josie picked up guitar about seven years ago at the pleading of her teenage son to find a hobby. Not long after starting to play guitar, Josie discovered she had things to say and found her voice in the amazing songs she creates. Already a veteran performer, her music is catching on both in North America and Europe. Her style ranges from folk and country to bluesy tunes that showcase a classic sound sometimes compared to Mary Chapin Carpenter. We will hear the stories to three of her songs. Josie selected them especially for local open mic listeners. These stories and songs will leave you changed for the better. And we have with us today Josie Bello. How are you doing, Josie? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for inviting me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know, it was my pleasure. You know, you came on my radar mostly because of kind of a sad event. We had another former guest on local open mic, uh, Jeff Curtis, who recently passed. He lost his battle with leukemia. Mm -hmm. And for anybody listening, it is a must-hear podcast. His music is fantastic, and he's going to be missed very much. But I noticed in some of the comments um, your name in some of the comments when I'd go and and see uh, how all that was playing out. And I I said, you know, I think I've seen your name in some other things that I follow of people I've interviewed. And so I checked out your music, and I just loved it. Thank you. Just wonderful music. So we've got three songs today. You're going to get to dish on all the backstories to the music, um, because that's kind of what we're all about, right? Mm-hmm. The backstory to the song and, mm-hmm. and the musical journey. So that's how I started to dial in on you, and I'm, I've just been very impressed with the music. So, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, that that songwriting is is the love of my life. There's no question. Why don't you tell us about what's been going on with you for the last year, uh, so that your fans or fans that we intend on making for you, kind of know what's consumed your time in the last year. Uh, well, for the last year, I have been working on a new album that was just released a few weeks ago. It's called Resilience. It has nine new songs on it. And that is what has consumed my time. And I needed something to consume my time because there was not a lot else going on with the pandemic. You know, some people shut themselves in and wrote music and others, you know, I don't know what they did. It went crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think going crazy was always a little part of it because at least going stir crazy. But oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. But I want to actually pick up on something you said right before you asked me the question about what was going on, which is that people will listen to a fresh new voice And I never thought of it that way, but it does remind me of something that Kevin Kelly said to me, which I think was one of the best pieces of 
you know, music writing, uh, songwriting that I've ever gotten, which is that he once said to me, he goes, well, you know, there, there may not be something new to say, but there may be a new way to say it. Exactly. And yep. he said, that's really the key, you know, that it, find a fresh new way. And he used those words. And you used, you said that people will listen to a new way of saying things. And that reminded me of what Kevin told me. And, and I, I think that that's really key to songwriting. I go back and forth between what is the importance of lyric and what is the importance of melody and production. I think they're probably all important. but It's symbiotic, isn't it? I, I think so. But some people think the lyrics are the most important. And I think in the folk world, without the good lyrics or lyrics that resonate, I don't think you have a song that's going to play. You can. So this, you is a, this is a good question. When you're writing, which comes first, the lyrics or the melody, you know, the chord structure? Which do you do? For first? me, they, they come pretty much together. My um, melody is not tied to my instrument. It, it comes in my head, and then I'll play it on the instrument. I, I don't write things down as soon as the song comes to me, because I figure if it's not going to stick with me, it's not going to stick with anybody. So I let it rattle around in my head for a while, at least for a couple of days before I start writing it down and organizing it into something. Did you write a lot of music in the last year, or was it mostly producing what you had already written? About half and half. I, I, think, I think once I go to the studio and get into the mode of recording, more songs come to me, and then I have like a decision to make. Which songs do I actually put on an album, and which songs do I just put on the side? Have you written a lot of songs? Yeah. <laughs> no hesitation there. A few times a yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Have you ever done any co-writing? Uh, very limited. Anyway, so lots of songs in the last year. Do you do all your recording in a particular studio? Yes. I, I, um, my guitar teacher, uh, Mike Nugent, is, has a studio, and that's where I record, and that's where... He produces my, my albums, so. And then you have it, what, do you always have it mixed with uh, Kevin? Oh, yeah. His studio? Yeah. yeah. I, I could okay. walk to both of those studios from my house if I wasn't so car dependent. But <laughs> <laughs> I... I um, we might have to unpack that later. <laughs> I, I'm not big on physical activity. I, I'd rather <laughs> sit around and write songs. But, yeah, they're... And to to encounter that level of experience and expertise right in my own neighborhood is remarkable. I don't have to trek into the city or something like that to find really amazing people to work with. And how long have you known this guitar teacher? I, I started taking lessons about seven years ago. Oh, okay. My son was an older teenager, and he was like, "Mom, you you got to find a hobby. You know, you got to do <laughs> like you got to do something. You can't focus on me all the time, <laughs> you know." Because every morning, I'd be like, "Oh, what do you want for dinner?" And you know, and he was like, 
but mom, I want to hang out with my friends. I want to go to, you know, Fridays or whatever, Bennigan's or whatever those places are. So I, I was kind of felt a little bit like, all right, I have to find something to do. And I had always wanted to learn to play guitar and it's slow going, but I enjoy it. And it, and it's, it makes me feel very cool to have a oh, guitar. Yeah, yeah. I like that. If you can play guitar, eventually you're hip. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just hold it and I feel hip, <laughs> you know, I play it and I cringe, but I, I like, I just like having, and I, and I've actually, I've, it's become a hobby. So I've bought a few guitars, you know, you have to have your, you know, your steel string and your electric guitar and, and the, you know, you have to have all these different guitars. So I like that. So what brand guitars do you play? What's your main guitar, your six string steel string guitar? What I have a Breedlove, which I, oh, we bought. Um, it was amazing guitar used. We bought that used at Guitar Center. And um, I love it. That's my favorite guitar. They are amazing guitars. Yeah. And I have a Taylor, yeah. like a mini. Taylor. I love that, the Taylor. Uh, a GS mini? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're nice. I, in fact, I was looking at one of those the other day to buy. Uh, then I saw a Martin 12 string and I went, oh, squirrel. <laughs> I had to look at the Martin 12 string. So that, that may actually find its way onto my wall. But It's uh, pretty easy to get distracted in the uh, guitar store. It in the is, showrooms, yeah. And if you, if you have the money to buy yet another guitar, it's easy to walk out with one. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, what brand is your classical guitar? Okay. I, uh, Crim, Cremona? Cremona. Oh, I've never it's heard from, of it. I okay. think it's from Yugoslavia. Um, oh, okay. That's interesting. So I have a friend, Linda Sussman, who is who also is a musician and a songwriter. She was researching classical guitars, nylon string guitars, and she came up with this guitar. And I said, you know, I've been wanting one of those. And so I, had a, I, I couldn't find one, and I did get it used from mail order. And, and, and I've been very happy with it, actually. So I tell you what, we've been bantering about enough that uh, we, we ought to get to the backstory to one of your songs, Can't Go Home. Tell us about that song. First of all, it's from my first album. And I personally think it is my best song. I think it, it is the best song that I've written musically. Well, it's a wonderful song. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, and I was fairly new at songwriting when I wrote it, but my husband had to sell his family home when his mom moved on, and it's in Brooklyn. We grew up near each other. We, did, we didn't know each other when we were younger, but we grew up near each other. I grew up on the Brooklyn-Queens border, and he grew up in Brooklyn. You know, every time we go through the old neighborhoods, it, everything was changed. You know, the pizzeria that you used to hang out with is now Dunkin' Donuts and a laundromat and a strip mall or something. I mean, like everything is different. You know, the park used to hang out out is now like a condo or something. And so when he was, he went to the closing that morning for this house in Brooklyn where he grew up, I, I just started thinking about 
everything about how you just can't go home, meaning you can't go back to your family home because it's different. Everything is different. And that's where the song came out of. And that song pretty much got written in one morning, which is very unusual for me. Yeah, you know, some of my best songs that I've written seem to come very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the ones I labor over, eh, I labor over sometimes for years. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tend to labor over the lyrics, I, I you know, in general. I, I feel like it's a puzzle, you know, just to find the right word or the right phrase. And I get very excited when it does occur to me. But in that particular song, it all came out pretty quickly. And the music came at the same time. And I really am very proud of that song. I I like that. I think it's my best work, honestly. Why don't we cue this up and play it for everybody? This is Can't Go Home. Got nothing to say out of words I got no more nouns no more verbs no more adjectives I got no more action expletives got no way to justify no way to testify Got nowhere to run, I run out of places, get no relief in seeing new faces. No sunny day or walk on a beach is gonna put the past within my reach. I can't go home cause it ain't home no more and it don't exist the way it did before. and awake 
wonderful song. Thank you. Thank you. I love that song. Thank you. The harmonies that you did in it, the, some of the lyrical content was just spot on about the sentiment of not being able to go back home. And then you end it with that whole send up to almost a religious feel. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We have fun when we do that live. You know, a lot of times the audience sings along and we have a good time with that. And I can't take credit for those background vocals because they were done by two lovely young women that used to come to my open mic called, uh, their names are Kelly and Kat, they're sisters, and they had them in to do the background vocals. I wasn't feeling real confident about my own vocal abilities at the time. And uh, Well, it's, I mean, the arrangement and everything, it's just spot on. Really a good song and... It express. You don't even know that the time is gone when you're listening to the song. Wow! At some point, you get immersed in the story, and you want to hear what's coming next. Very good, very good. I quite enjoyed it. And thanks. I, you were telling me that sometimes you get your vocal styling gets compared to Mary Chapin Carpenter, and I can mm -hmm. definitely hear that. So, very good. Yeah, that's always a really terrific compliment when I hear that. I never get compared to Mary. So. Well, you know, <laughs> that might be a horse of a different color if that happens to you. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's true. Um, well, absolutely wonderful. Thanks. So I'll tell you what, let's uh, move on in your musical journey to maybe, let's notch back maybe five or six years. What was going on back then that led up to now for you? Uh, it might be that recording that was in 2019. Uh, so that wasn't quite five years ago. Five years ago, I was uh, taking guitar lessons. And the amazing thing about guitar for me was I hadn't really written any songs before I started strumming chords. And as soon as I started strumming chords, I songs started coming out, you know, not so, you know, not stuff that I would record necessarily, but I found... So you're yeah. pretty new to the songwriting part it's of this. It's about seven years, life, yeah. I, I'm new to, I'm new to, and this is a hobby for me. You know, I, I don't consider myself a musician, but I... Uh, that ship is sailed. <laughs> maybe. You are a musician. Maybe. And <laughs> some of this stuff could blow up and, you know, what are you going to do then? I don't know. I hadn't really thought that far in advance, but I love song. You know, I love songwriting. That's what I'm in it for. And I, I mean, you can't really write songs and then not sing them and bring them out because, you know, they wouldn't. And that's why we have local open mics. Absolutely. Right? That's what I discovered. Yep. Yeah, open mics. Yeah. In fact, the name local open mic comes because, uh, Back when I thought of the, the name, I was hosting an open mic in Auburn, Washington. And uh, I thought, I want to have a website where I can post the performances and put pictures of people doing it. And it, so I came up with the name Local Open Mic. And yet, here we are today as a podcast. Yeah. Well, I, it mushroomed into a podcast, I guess. It did, I guess. Yeah. So, you started playing guitar and then you started singing. Yeah. Do you still remember the first song you wrote? Yeah. The first song I wrote is actually 
on that first album is called Dignity. And that's why I put it first. And that's the song that got me kind of hooked on songwriting. It, it's just, And I just loved the feeling of putting this little story together and singing it. And, you know, I mean, I'm a rock star in my living room. You know, I, just, like, <laughs> I love, you know, standing up and playing and singing and coming up with songs. Everything sounds great. And then you go to an open mic and it's like, I don't want to get up. I don't, I don't want to get up there in front of people. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. And then, and then you find out people are just so nice about performances and open mics are a great way to, to hone your craft, to sing songs, try new things on. And Absolutely. So it, I found that maybe you can tell me if this is the case at the open mics you go to. Uh, I found that uh, especially the younger people uh, trying to learn how to sing in front of others Week in and week out, sometimes they would sing the same song. And they would do it because they wanted to get better at that song. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the progress was very slow. But then one week they would come in and nail it. And you went, wow. Do you find that's the case at the open mics you go to? I wish I could say that was the case. I live in the land of Mariah Carey. I, I live where Mariah Carey grew up, and okay. I, I don't know what there is in the water here, but we have young people that are so talented, they just get up and blow us away. I mean, we learn from them. I, I, we Everybody, the, I don't know if it's the programs they have in the schools, the theater programs, or or what, but... There's so much talent among this, the high schoolers here. Wow. That's impressive. It really is. It's very impressive. And the open mic that I ran, the coffee shop open mic that I ran for a number of years before the, um, the pandemic set in, is right down the block from the high school, the Mariah Carey High School. And... <laughs> The Mariah, the Mariah Carey High School. It's called Harborfields High School. And and truly, this is such a group of talented people here, young people. And because it was a coffee shop and because it was a little held a little on the earlier side on a Friday and it, there was there's no alcoholic beverages served there, they were able to, to come in. And that is a place where you see a lot of youth at the coffee shop open mics because it's more accessible to them than bars and stuff like that. Well, when I hosted open mics, I always wanted it at a family-friendly place. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the open mics in the area, I live in Canada, and the, the community, they're all held at uh, bars or nightclubs that it's an off night, you know, and the kids can't come in, mm -hmm. you know, because the licensing won't uh, permit that. Mm -hmm. And there's no, um, there is one place that has an open mic that's a restaurant. And even though they do serve some alcohol, their licensing would permit uh, somebody that is chaperoned by a parent to be in there. Uh, but that's the, there's only one. And that's a sadness for me because these kids need a place to 
uh, play. Absolutely. And it's a good hobby. It's a good thing. It's a good activity to get involved in because um, it's, it's just healthier than some of the other things that, that they could be getting involved in. And we can't shut them out. You've been writing now for five or six years. Mm-hmm. How many songs have you written? Do you know? No. No, because I probably forget more than I remember. You know, it, it, it's definitely, it's one of those things okay. where I'm driving and, you know, like you described okay, before. the ones you've written down. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have some idea of the ones you've maybe, committed to? Maybe 40 some or... Sort of perm- yeah, maybe 40 or 50. Well, that's impressive in, in uh, five years. I don't, I don't know that they're all that good, you know. I mean... Well, they don't have to be. The fact but they're that complete. you go through the process. Yeah, yeah. they're complete. Yeah. I always taught people when I was teaching them songwriting that even a song that you're writing that isn't going so well, maybe it really, it, it frankly is stinking up the joint for you. Sometimes you have to finish that song just to get it out of your system. Closure. Absolutely. Yeah. Closure. That's a good way to put yeah. that. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, I try and teach people, remember, uh, if you haven't published a song, there's nothing sacred about it. If you find a piece of that song that needs changing, change it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's a piece of that song will work better in another song you're writing. Then grab it. You know, nothing like self-plagiarizing, uh, I say. So um, so that's good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think I've written... I'm sure I have not written 40 or 50 songs Uh maybe in the last 20 years. Uh, but I used to write a lot, but yeah. So that's good. That shows you're staying with it. I, I think I just have too much to say. I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> Can you ever have too much to say? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Some things are better left unsaid, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, that may be true, but may it never be laid at my feet that uh, I have too much to say, I think. Uh, if you need to say it, say it. That's what I said. That's what I said. Yeah. There you go. That's your saying. Yeah, that's my saying. So why don't we uh, notch back a little bit farther uh, and uh, let's let's talk about uh, you growing up and where you got your love of music. Uh, a little bit of that, maybe a little bit of family life if you want, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. roll with it. Whatever you think uh, your fans will want to hear. Um. Well, I haven't canvassed all three of my fans, but I, I, uh, I think that growing up, music was always in the house. My mom loved music, and she used to play Jimmy Roselli albums. And you know, my my grandmother lived downstairs, and she was one of ten children, and they were always, you know sisters and brothers were always visiting and there was always Italian music. And I remember very young, maybe six or seven years old, I wanted to play guitar because I thought it was cool. And I thought that was the instrument to play. And they were like, no, 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 you got to play accordion. And they got me this big book of Italian songs and they got me a teacher and Astoria on Steinway Street. And I used to go there every week and work my way through this book of songs. And when my grandmother's siblings would come around, they would always 
say, go get the accordion. Let's let's play some songs. Let's and they would sing and it was great, you know. So that's so there was a lot of um music around me. Uh we used to watch Lawrence Welk once a week and when Joe Feeney came on and played his accordion, they would like, You you have to play like him. This is what you would aspire <laughs> to, you know. And I so I, it was always around. But when I became a teenager, a young teenager. There were a lot of kids in the neighborhood, all boys mostly. I don't think the girls were involved. But it, I, I know the girls were excluded, actually. Everybody would set up a band in their garage. And there were lots of opportunities at that time for young people to play out. There were school dances. There was Battle of the Bands. There was always live music when I was growing up. And it was great. And I was influenced by a lot of that. Um, And I became an avid concert goer. I was, you know, lived right outside, you know, the heart of New York City. So it was nothing to get into the city, a very short train ride and be at Central Park. And there were always lots of concerts at Central Park. And you didn't even have to have a ticket. Tickets were maybe two bucks anyway, but you didn't have to have a ticket. I saw lots of great acts there. Um, you know, I, f- I first saw Emmylou Harris there. And um, and what, she just uh, got her band together, set up a stage and went for it? Well, it was called the Schaefer Music Concert Series. Oh, okay. And so we, I saw Poco. I saw, that was the first time I saw um, Emmylou who I've loved forever. And um, so a lot, so ELO, so tons of, and, and of course, if you'd saved up your money and you could get to the Madison Square Garden, you could see other acts who were on tour. Um, and, and so it was just a great, great setting. And bottom line, you know, when I got a little older, we got to go to the bottom line. I saw Renaissance and, you know, Annie Haslam is always um, a favorite of mine. So that that's what, you, you know. Did you have any inkling back then that you wanted to play guitar? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody wanted to be a rock star when they were younger. Right? I mean, you know. I did. Sure. It's true. But that's normal. That's from the, part of growing from up. The fir- from the first moment I heard Day Tripper. There you go. Uh, on the on a 45 of a friend of mine's up the street, hot off the presses, I wanted to be a rock star. So I never got a guitar for years, but <laughs> not for want of trying. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was told when I was younger that, you know, if you learn to play accordion, you'll be the life of every party. And honestly... <laughs> I, it's been a long, I've been to many parties and I, no one's ever said, Hey, you got an accordion in the car, get it out. You know, like that just never happened. Yeah. It's like, you know, do people come up and go, what you play accordion? <laughs> you gotta bring it. I've, I've never heard that at a party either, by the way. <laughs> there you go. So I, so I, I have recently, and I have to thank my husband who also grew up Italian playing the accordion, um, who's now a, a, 
an accomplished guitar player, but I have to thank my husband and also Mike, my producer, for you know encouraging me to put accordion on a lot of the recordings now. Well, I was going to say on that last song that we listened to, I thought I heard an accordion. You did. I was ask we you snuck about it. it in at the end. And and I'm sorry I didn't ask about it because actually that was one of the things that uh, stood out for me and. And uh, it kind of goes, though, with your folk vibe. Yeah. You know, it, re- it really has a place in it. So They like it in Europe. I'm having a moment in Europe. I'm getting quite a bit of airplay. In a- You're trending. I'm trending? Okay. Trending in Europe. I'm tre- well, I don't, you know, I don't know if it goes How as far. How fun is well, that? I don't, I don't know if it goes as far as trending. But I, it, the last album, the one before this one, I, I had uh, gotten some play in 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 the UK and I became sort of you know exchange a few emails with the um with the DJs there and so when this newest album came out I was able to just mail it to them directly and um I it's they all commented on the accordion you know they love they love it in Ireland they love it in England and uh, and it's 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 more prominent on this album. There's more of it. Well, I'll tell you. Um, occasionally, you know, I follow buskers, and occasionally, you know, there will be a little busker band that's being featured on some of the channels I watch. And it shouldn't surprise you. Occasionally, there's somebody there playing an accordion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that sort of rings true. That it's it's very popular in a place like Europe, for example. I, I love to watch YouTube and, uh, you know, see where it takes me, all the different music that's available. And I noticed that Willie Nile has a very good accordion player, and that is folk music. And I've been watching him to get ideas of how to approach, you know, playing along with my songs and... I love stuff like that. You know, even even the um the Mavericks. Although that's a, a different kind of accordion playing, but I enjoy getting ideas that way as well. Well, that's uh that's very cool. So, I tell you what, why don't we get to another song? Okay. So why why don't you tell us the backstory to I Bleed Human? I Bleed Human is actually another one of those songs. Maybe you have maybe you have something there about those songs that come out easily. That was one of those songs that came out sort of in one shot. I think I had just watched the news and I was just so frustrated with the level of intolerance and hatred and just like bad karma in the world, you know? People just not right. loving each other the way they should. And I, I started to think about even the doctors in emergency rooms. You know, they don't, they don't look at somebody's color. They, they, they look at, you know, them medically. They look at how they can help them. And I, I, I was thinking we all bleed the same. And my mom was in a nursing home at the time. And when you, when you, are a frequent visitor to a nursing home. A lot of the 
people that are sitting around in wheelchairs, they start to say hello to you because it's the same people every time you walk through the halls, you know, whatever. And they start to say hello to you and they might engage you in conversation because they're lonely. And most of them don't have visitors. Many of them have outlived their families. You know, they're, they're, they're very old these days in nursing homes. They're not, you know, if you're in your 90s, you, you may have outlived your siblings. You certainly outlived your parents, maybe, maybe even your children. Or, yeah, some of them. Yes. Yeah. So there was this one lady, and her name was Selma. And she would grab my arm as I walked by to go to visit my mom. And she'd, she'd, she'd always reintroduce herself and say, my name is Selma, you know, like Selma, Alabama. That'll help yeah. you remember who I am. And she, she was a retired teacher. She was in her 90s. And she would engage me in conversation. And one of the things that she said to me was we all bleed the same color. I, I don't understand. And she was flipping between the current time and maybe when she was growing up. And she would say, I feel very connected to Selma and I watch what goes on there. And some days when I'd walk through the hall and she'd grab me, she'd say, have you heard what's going on in Selma today? You know, and, and, and so from that bit of her saying how we all bleed the same color, I was thinking about what Kevin said, and he had told me, you know, people say things, but we have to find a new way to say them. And I came up with the idea of we all bleed human. And so one day when I was watching the news and I was getting frustrated about how things were going and I was contemplating all these ways that that there's inequality or inequity in things, I... I put it all together and all these thoughts converged and I came up with that song and it came out really fast. Well, I was going to say that the, just the title is a classic example of coming up with a new way to express an idea. Because mm -hmm. when I saw that, I Bleed Human, I knew kind of what it had to be about, mm -hmm. but I'd never heard it put that way. Never. Nobody's ever in my in my frame of reference, ever said, I bleed human. Well, you know, yeah. you hear the I bleed red, mm -hmm. like you hear that a lot. It's almost a cliche when people want to go to that space mm -hmm. that we're all the same, but you never, never hear I bleed human. So that's what stuck out for me. And the song uh, didn't disappoint. I got to tell you. Oh, thank it's you. It's a lovely song. And I think the fans are going to quite enjoy it is there anything else about the song we should know um you know the second verse is 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 when i love i love forever and i and i was specifically attacking the stereotype of a boy i have a son and frank has a son frank actually has two sons so we have three boys between us we and, and I was thinking about the stereotype of how boys are the runarounds and, you know, girls are devoted. You know, there's that stereotype, especially when they're teenagers or whatever. And my son is a very sensitive, loving, committed person. And um, I just, I thought about that, you know, and I, I sort of, to attack that stereotype, that's where that verse comes in. Well, wonderful. 
So we're going to play I Bleed Human. When I 
Good song. Thank you. It it absolutely lives up to anything I would have expected for this song. Thank you. It it it, it has a good uh, sort of a bluesy nightclub sort of a feel to it. Um, really like it. I was going to ask you about the song. What did you play on this song? What instrument? I think there's some organ on it. Ah, and. Organ. We haven't explored the keyboard player side of you. <laughs> I'm not really a keyboard player. Well, if you played the organ on it, it's more than I would have done. <laughs> I'm not an organ player at all. With much direction so, from Mike Nugent. I I operate the organ. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, it, it, it takes time, I think, um, for me, I, I haven't had a lot of experience as a musician. And sometimes, you know, it takes time to come up with an arrangement or or some parts that I can add to a song. But I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. And I also, I did the background vocals on that one. I had, by this, this was on the second album. By the time we were recording the second album, I started to get more confident so I did all my own background vocals. Well, I had written down a note here to ask you about the backup singers, mm -hmm. if it was the sisters or if it was you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it was me. It was good. <laughs> Very good. I mean, the fact I'd even ask about it tells you that I was impressed with it. Uh, because I'm not going to highlight the bad stuff on anybody's music if I can uh, avoid it. The drums. Let me just say, the drummer and whoever was doing Oh, that it drummer. Was, it was understated and wonderful. Yeah. It didn't stomp all over what you were doing. Uh, and then the mix of it, you know, um, I don't know if it was Kevin that uh, did the final mix. Or oh, what, yeah. But uh, it didn't have it didn't have reverb put on it that I could tell, which was really nice. A lot of times uh, people that are mixing think they have to fatten stuff up, so they add compression and reverb and stuff and uh, the drums really isn't it funny to say they stuck out to me when they were understated you know uh that's <laughs> it was wonderful that's sean murray he he has been a professional drummer his whole life and he's you know been on tour with lots of great musicians and he he brings so much to that drum kit you know uh he he can he's very versatile and and he's my favorite drummer to work with and i think he's he's pretty much all over my last album because i, I think while we were doing that song i kind of decided this this is the drummer i want to use before that we use a variety of drummers you know mike nugent knows a lot of people and so sure. you know but and, and I think sometimes you feel like, oh, you know, a drummer's a drummer. But that's not true. The, the drumming, it's a musical instrument. And they have to be able to, to play it. It's not just banging out a beat. Well, you know, it, uh, it might even be a little more than that, that they have to get the vibe that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, um, whether it's a guitar player, a drummer, a bass player, you have to have the confidence that they they sort of get it, whatever it is you're wanting them to get about the music. Mm -hmm. They just get what you're looking for. 
and they can bring that to the table every time they sit down with you to work on a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a standout. He's a standout. He's a standout. And there's a percussionist that shows up on on some of my songs. His name is Richie Guerrero, and he's also a standout. He's amazing. So I feel that that, you know, those are the two people that I enjoy working with in terms of drums and percussion. And so was the guitar work by uh, Mike, 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 Mike Nugent does all the guitars and the bass. Oh, it was wonderful too. Yeah. 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 When you can pick out the, the picking style in the background, even while um, a lead passage is going on, you know, that adds color to the song. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good guitar work that you don't step on what's already been done. He's a very sought after um, side man and studio musician. And he has a new album out also. His, his, he's put out... Go ahead, plug it. I'm going to plug it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he ended up naming it. It just came out. But his name is Mike Nugent. And he he has a really... He's a good songwriter, and he has great stuff. He's he is he's my band, you know. <laughs> he's the band. So we've covered a lot of your early roots and a couple songs now. Some of the stuff you've done more recently. What have we missed in the middle that, from a musical journey point of view, is significant in your life? I think that I've developed more confidence. I've learned okay. to edit my own work. You know, I I've learned to feel more confident about the what I present to Mike as a song. Uh, I I feel more confident about what I suggest as an arrangement or or instrumentation. I think it's I've grown into it, and I'm I'm starting to own it, which I didn't do at first. So can you hear what you want in a song uh, mm-hmm. and are able to articulate it to him? Yeah. I tell you what, we have one more song that we just have to get to because it's such a nice song. <laughs> and uh, that song is Love That's Real. Tell us about the backstory to Love That's Real. I was thinking about my brother. My brother... Uh, contracted COVID early on and he had pneumonia and eventually he he died he died and I was contemplating he was gay and I felt like he was cheated in terms of people being excited that he found the love of his life and and that he was he found himself and he was he was got married and I started to think about all all people that maybe are a little don't fit the mold maybe are a little different and and don't get to have that excitement from others when they find the love of their life and that's what that song is about so was he public about 
who he was uh, for a long time, or did that happen later in life? It happened or... later in life. He did have to move away. He felt he had to move away. Oh, got it. Um, got he it. was he was living in Florida when you know when, it all... when he got sick. He was living in Pennsylvania when he got married, and my father, who had some difficulty accepting this, but not any difficulty continuing to love and accept his son said to me and my other brother, you guys, you guys have to go to the wedding. You guys have to support him. I can't go, but you have to go. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I, that was like an endorsement, but, but still, you know, I think things have changed, you know, it's a generational, it's thing, generational. Though, it? Absolutely. And, you know, um, I noticed that some of the current state of the culture is that there's a feeling that if you're going to accept something that's new, like a, a, a father accepting a son that has, after many years, um, come out with who he is uh, and has maybe always been, of course, that there has to be immediate 100% acceptance of that reality when... Sometimes you got to give people time. It's not always, you know, when you surprise them with something that breaks their frame of reference, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you got to be careful not to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you don't accept me for who I am now and a hundred percent, why somehow that, that gets in the way of the relationship going on uh, down the road. Mm -hmm. So um, Rory Kelly wrote a song called Lying Street. Oh, I love that, that song. Addresses Absolutely. That entire subject. Mm -hmm. um, and we just released the story and the song on a sister podcast that we do uh, just last week of that song. You know, if anybody's listening, that's certainly worth tracking down and listening. But um, Love That's Real. Let's play that and let's remember your brother and who you wrote it for, okay? Thank you. Love is love, that's a fact. It don't matter where you hang your hat. As long as it's where you belong and you feel loved. is love, I hear it said, over and over again, that's what I believe when I see couples walking down the street, if you find true love, you're one of the lucky ones, so many never get to But you Knows if you found it And if it's true Only you know What's good for you Follow your heart 
and you'll know what to do. Some couples don't fit the mold, spend their lives being told. You have to change, you must fit in, I say be yourself. Everybody wins. And if you find true love, you're one of the lucky ones. So many never get to feel love that's real. If you live with love, nobody else can judge. So many never. song thank you so let's continue talking a little bit about love that's real Mm -hmm. you're right um you know love that is real genuinely real is it feels rare but it shouldn't be should it it shouldn't be but i think romantic love that's real is rare i think genuine love feelings should not be rare but but when you see people who really enjoy each other's company and and want to be together there should be no judgments because it they found something that's rare and precious and that they deserve well said so in closing out what is it that you would like your fans or potential fans to know before we close out i want them to know that recording Writing, recording these songs is sort of necessary to bring them to life, but writing them is a labor of love. And then, you know, bringing them to life in the studio is a labor of love. And then getting to share them and having other people enjoy them is just completes the whole circle and is so gratifying. It, it, I get such enjoyment when 
I hear from people and I do get fan mail. I do get actual notes and things through my website. People comment on songs and I, it's, it feels so good. It's wonderful to have shared a piece of myself. And even though every song is not about me, I don't, I don't know that you can have an idea resonate with you and then create a song that doesn't have a piece of you in it somewhere. Maybe it's not in the lyric, maybe it's not in the facts, but but you're there in every song and they're all my children. So people say, well, what's your favorite song? I mean, I can say I do believe objectively that Can't Go Home is the best song that I've written musically, but they're all my children and I love them all equally. I can see the difference between them, but I love them all. I've had a wonderful time talking with you, Josie. Thank you for taking the time out of a busy schedule to be with us today on Local Open Mic. Thank you for having me. And in about a year, we will try and catch up with you for an update interview to find out what's been going on since this interview. Fantastic. Thank you. Great. It's been a pleasure talking with you. We'll talk with you later. Okay? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that concludes our interview with Josie Bello. She is something, isn't she? You can get all of her contact information in the show notes below. Be sure to check those. They have direct links to all of her social media. For Local Open Mic, I'm your host, Tim Heath. Remember, get up on the stage, step up to the microphone. The world is listening.